Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services partner for emerging market executives. We partner with business leaders at over 230 multinationals by providing them with advisory support, information assets, and consulting services that help inform and empower their emerging markets growth strategy. The focus of today's podcast is a discussion regarding FSG's latest ahead-of-the-curve research on Mexico titled Plan B for Mexico. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, and I'm joined today from New York by Antonio Martinez, FSG's Director of Global Economics Research. As a reminder, this research and all of our insights are available to FSG clients via our Frontier View platform. Antonio, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Rich. This uh, report couldn't be more timely, from my perspective, given the chessboard that we're observing unfold in Mexico. We have a fragile economic backdrop, the Trump administration's protectionist trade stance, and then internally we have political drama that's likely to play out as the year goes on. And I want to dig into all of these topics as well as actions, as always, actions that companies should be taking. But before we do that, I'd like to start by setting the table a bit with a look at Mexico's fundamentals. Uh, for years, Mexico has held truly an unassailable position as a source of relative stability in our clients' Latin America portfolios, as well as more broadly across our emerging market portfolios. But this position has changed dramatically, and it's changed rather quickly. And one telling statistic I'll share is that in a recent poll we did of heads of international across our client base, Mexico ranked as the market they felt offered the single biggest risk to their business in 2017. 36% of our clients voted Mexico as their highest risk market for 2017, which is kind of shocking given where Mexico has stood historically. And that's over China, Russia, and Brazil. So Antonio, I want to start by just uh, asking you to walk us through the fundamentals of the market right now from an economic perspective, from a business environment perspective, and from a sentiment perspective in terms of how our companies and executives are thinking about Mexico. Absolutely. So what we see for Mexico has been in a, you can almost say, a steady growth over the last few years, despite some FX volatility, despite the fall in oil prices, the economy has consistently been driving uh, not particularly spectacular growth of over 2%, but at least a consistency that has been lost when one, that has not been lost when compared to markets like Argentina, Brazil, and the region that have been, uh, let's just say, providing a lot of hard burn for companies. Uh, what we expect and what we've been seeing over the last few months has been uh, an overwhelming sense of uncertainty uh, towards uh, the, the, let's just say, the evolution of the Mexican market, the stability of Mexico, and the economic portions of, and the business opportunity that the market offers. And this has obviously had an impact in terms of business investment and, and also in terms of consumption, where we've started to see inflation creep up uh, uh, since the start of the year. Um, as well as interest rates start to increase. And that's led us to reduce our forecast uh, from around two, well, uh, around over 2% growth to closer to about 1.6% growth. And Antonio, when you think about that uh, outlook, is that is that bias pretty stable now? Or do you have a, a bias one way or the other, upside or downside? It feels like, if anything, it would be to the downside. It would, but at least the last couple of months, you've started to see a bit of a recovery or at least stabilization of expectations around the Mexican economy, um, mostly related to, uh, let's just say, uh, 
difficult start for the Trump administration extern- uh, outside the, the Mexico and just uh, uh, better than expected uh, stability coming out of the market, particularly in the, uh, the recuperation of the, the Mexican peso. Uh, however, it is important to note that the risk remain and that's going to drive continued and persistent uncertainty through the next, let's just say, 18 months. And that will put a dent in terms of the upside potential for Mexico. So in our view, essentially Mexico, Mexico's economic growth is probably even evenly balanced between about at 1.6%. Okay, so no recession, but businesses are going to need to be prepared for a tougher cost environment and therefore margin pressure, uh, at least in the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely. I want to dig into the analysis, and, and there's a couple of uh, areas that I want to probe deeper on. One is uh, you talk about external, and then you talk about internal disruptors, and I want to cover both of these. But let's start with the external disruptors, which, no surprise, is the biggest external disruptor for Mexico is tied to President Trump's trade agenda and his related stance uh, towards NAFTA. And I, I thought it would be helpful if you start with maybe just walking us through uh, the administration's objectives for trade policy with Mexico and some of the implementation options uh, that that face that they face. The Trump administration has really been focused. Uh, well, I would say the Trump candidacy was very much focused on a tougher line on trade, uh, particularly in terms of uh, increasing manufacturing jobs in the U.S., reducing the trade deficit. And obviously, also financing a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, now, this has started to evolve somewhat, and now the Mex- as they've started to see what are the potential options uh, in terms of confronting and dealing with a lot of these challenges. Uh, some of the measures, such as unilateral tariff implementation, are seen at this point as much lower in terms of a of a risk. Uh, as, and the border adjusted tax, which was also a source of consternation, uh, seems too politically unpalatable uh, within the U.S. Uh, Congress uh, to get much sway. So what are we left with? Basically, a NAFTA renegotiation uh, process, which is probably well, it's been said for several months. It's just about to get started, uh, but one where it's unclear how much of it will be focused on increasing protectionist barriers between U.S. and Mexico, and obviously Canada as well, or whether you're going to see a shift towards a more of a focus on modernizing NAFTA. And that's really where uh, some of the scenarios that we've been uh, developing has really uh, focused on. And, and I think we can take some of the signals from what we're seeing happen in the initial discussions that the Trump administration is having with China uh, in terms of how pragmatic an approach they take versus uh, how aggressive of a stance they take. So I think that'll be interesting to, to watch and, and, and maybe draw some conclusions uh, as, as to relations with Mexico. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, we've seen over the last uh, say month or so, uh, you see an internal battle within the Trump administration, and you've seen those that advocate, uh, I guess, a more free trade stance start to win out. Um, and you start to see na- the nationalists, the protectionists, start to uh, re- see a reduction in influence. However, it's important to note that uh, President Trump is at heart uh, very much a nationalist on trade issues. And so uh, it looks good right now. I would just say it's still one where companies need to be looking at, at the signs to monitor as they're uh, evaluating what's coming next. 
And it's not necessarily, I mean, if, if, it, if it skews more towards the modernization uh, end of the spectrum versus the protectionist end of the spectrum, that's, uh, that's not actually a negative story, is it? It's, it's potentially a, a, a outcome that features uh, some positive implications for MNCs. Am I correct in saying Absolutely. That? Absolutely. You'd see uh, actually uh, not only an, exp- uh, an easing of trade conditions, it would almost certainly also ensure uh, the permanence of NAFTA, uh, as well as you'll start to see an expansion into uh, liberalization to other sectors, such as the energy sector, e-commerce, uh, telecom, and uh, uh, as well as service sector. So you'd see there's a lot of opportunity here, and it's the reason why it's a big part of our upside uh, scenario okay before i get to the the upside and the downside or the base case scenarios i I think it's important to turn to the other set of disruptors uh facing mexico and our executives operating mexico which is really the internal side of the story which is increasing political risk within mexico give us uh, the current state of play uh, from that perspective and some signposts and time timelines well, despite what we've seen over the last, uh, let's say, uh, the fullness of the term of uh, President Peña Nieto's term, you've seen very weak uh, or at least mediocre economic growth compared to the promises of only a few years ago, coupled with continued uh, increases in uh, narco-related violence, uh, as well as case after case of corruption. You've seen a very steady and persistent and strong uh, let's just say, aversion to the status quo in Mexico. And so what we've seen is a movement towards uh, candidates that will be advocating for pretty strong change uh, compared to the last few years, which likely means that the pre is not going, pre-candidate, which is still not chosen, is unlikely to be victorious. Uh, and it also opens the door to uh, leftist Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador to be, let's just say, uh, be in the best conditions to uh, be victorious in in next year's uh, July uh, presidential elections. So the timelines are really the the July timeframe next year for the election, but we have some upcoming gubernatorial elections as well, which might give us some early indications of of which way things are leaning. The state the state of Mexico gubernatorial election will is almost certainly going to provide us a lot of clues whether or not uh, Mexico is likely to, whether the PRI has a chance, whether the Mexico is going to take a very strong uh, leftist populist nationalist turn, or whether actually the pro-business PAN uh, will uh, be able to uh, uh, become the, the avenue for change, uh, which for most of our executives would be the most constructive way uh, to move beyond the, the last, uh, this term uh, in office of uh, the PRI. So let's put all this together and, and look at the chessboard. And I, I use the, the reference chessboard because in, in your analysis, your scenarios uh, appear to be a chessboard um, in, in, uh, in terms of the grid of scenarios. Because on the one axis, we have the trade policies and the outcome potential of NAFTA renegotiations. And on the other side, we have the internal disruptors and the potential outcomes of the presidential elections. And you outline likelihoods and, and scenarios. So let's let's focus in on your your base case scenario and and what that is and what what our signposts are that we should be tracking. Uh, the base case scenario is that we're going to get at least over the next eighteen months a very contentious uh, NAFTA renegotiation, not necessarily a breakdown in relations or uh, 
uh, a total move towards protectionism, but one where this is going to be a consistent uh, and prolonged move towards, uh, uh, let's just say, a new NAFTA, one that will likely take much more time than uh, I would say the Mexican government wants, which is to get a, get a deal done by January or February before the election period really gets going. Now, it also includes basically Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador as the likely winner. And in that condition, we would see uh, the election of, of AMLO uh, as, as president, but still with a Congress that is very fragmented and, and where well, he will have to moderate somewhat. So not a total disaster for our clients, uh, but one where uh, at least the business environment will remain one of severe and uh, almost uh, uh, unending uh, volatility. And you put that at a 35% likelihood, which doesn't sound like a lot, but given the amount of different permutations and options, uh, it's it's pretty significant likelihood. Exactly. So assuming that base case scenario, if we translate to actions and you put your MNC executive hat on and you're now the general manager for Latin America or you're the uh, country manager for Mexico or you're even the head of international, what, what actions are you recommending our clients should be taking uh, under that base case scenario? Well, it, depending on the industry, I mean, one thing you could see is that uh, companies with a portfolio, particularly in the B2B sector, need to tread pretty carefully in terms of uh, uh, their portfolio of products. You'd probably want to uh, focus less on major CapEx projects than uh, uh, or opportunities and more on smaller kind of consistent oper operational expenditures. Uh, if you are a consumer-focused company, you really have to take a look at uh, essentially what parts of the market of the consumer base really are less amenable or less uh, impacted by uh, rising inflation, higher, uh, tighter credit terms. So really a, a refocusing of consumer segment prioritization. Okay. Um, across, and across other industries, uh, I mean, across all industries, I would say, the focus needs to be, you know, you have to look at the trade-off between, uh, you know, protecting your margins and expanding market share volume growth. Um, because as conditions become a little more difficult, just uh, keeping prices low may not necessarily be the, approach, the right approach um, as it has been over the last couple of years. In, um, in your report, you go into upside cases and, uh, and you actually have two upside cases and you also have a downside case. I'm not, I don't think we'll have time to cover both of them today. I'll say that in the upside cases, um, there's more likelihood associated with the upside cases in your view than, uh, than the, the true downside case, which is really, you know, when we're getting into more of a, you know, a trade breakdown, populist trade war type of situation. Um, but I, I do want to maybe take a moment and try to think a little bit longer term and think beyond the horizon and ask you to do the impossible, which is to take out your crystal ball and, and let's get past uh, the elections in Mexico. Let's get past uh, some sort of renegotiation of NAFTA. And, and what is life like? What happens on the ground in Mexico post-2018? What you need to see in Mexico is really a reconfirmation in terms of a, I just say, uh, a real growth strategy beyond uh, just continued implementation of previous uh, uh, structural reforms. You really need to see growth uh, move up from 2% closer to 4% uh, over the coming years. And the next government, whether it's of the left or the right, uh, really has to develop an approach 
uh, that can drive that growth while at the same time expanding government revenues uh, and reducing debt levels while hopefully sooner rather than later starting to see big economic big benefits particularly from the energy reforms although of course oil prices as volatile as they are make it very difficult to really see uh you know return to a hundred dollar per uh, per barrel oil anytime soon so that feels like a lot of things have to to be aligned in order to get growth accelerating into that four percent range yes i mean i would say at this point you'd really need to see uh, a second generation of reforms at, at the same time uh, a stabilization of expectations around the market yeah and i think that's probably the more likely scenario that if we could get past this maybe mexico returns to that kind of steady steady performer that you can count on uh and and we move past some of this uh, uncertainty uh, that would that would be uh, I, I think from your perspective uh, the base case as you move past here. Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen, Antonio, I, I think we're up against time and uh, I want to thank you for uh, this interesting discussion and I strongly encourage our listeners to read the full report. It's it's quite extensive. It highlights frameworks for uh, not only does it highlight the upside and the downside cases in some level of detail, but it also provides frameworks for establishing contingency plans. And of course, as a client, you can speak with Antonio or any member of the FSG Latin America or Global Economics team at any time by simply reaching out via your client relationship director. You can also access Antonio's report and all of our Mexico and Latin America related research and data via the FrontierView platform. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance across your emerging market portfolio.